I can remember being a little boy, and I don't know how many times I did this, but my mom would sometimes make dinner, and I would probably look at her and say something along the lines of, I don't want this. And my mother would very nicely, that's how she would put it, very nicely, would say, tough. That's what we're having. And I remember as a little boy thinking that that was so cruel. Well, if I don't want to eat it, why don't you make me something different? And then I had a little boy, and we had dinner one night, and he looked at Mama and said, Mama, I don't want this. And I beat her to it, and I said, tough. That's what we're having. And he said, I don't want that. I said, son, that's what you can eat. You need to be grateful for what Mom has made for you. And in truth, when I think about the word ungrateful around this time of year, it seems more sinful to be ungrateful in the month of November than at any other time. Because so much of this month is spent going over and over the idea of gratitude and being thankful for what we have. And in truth, so many of us, as Brother Evan mentioned in his sermon this morning, spent most of this last week and weekend eating and just having so much of an abundance of food and blessings that God has given us. And yet, after Thanksgiving and as we move back toward our lives and really after Christmas, we'll get back into a new year and in many cases we'll go back to being ungrateful and sometimes, at sometimes at least for us. And I started to ask the question years ago, why is it that we seem to be so ungrateful for all that we have when we've got the Lord, we've got salvation, we have all of these blessings, and then it dawned on me, God's own people have always done that. And as you and I study today, I want us to think about the Israelite people, and as we begin to set the stage, I want you to consider all that God had done for the Israelite people In Exodus chapter 3, I'm told that God sent Moses. He gave an explicit command to Moses to go and spare the Lord's people by being a leader to help get them out of Egypt. He then followed through with that promise through Moses by guiding the situation and helping them be delivered from Egypt. Exodus 8 and verses, or Exodus 8 through chapter 12, really. And then they come to the Red Sea in chapter 14, and you think this is where it ends. There's no possible way that they can get through this, but God delivered them from that. Helped them to walk on dry ground. And then as those Egyptians are pursuing them, the Red Sea closed upon them and destroyed the Egyptian army that was in pursuit. And you think, okay, things are going to get better from here. They Surely nothing more will happen, and then they need food. And God says, you know what, I'll send you manna and quail in Exodus 16. And then they needed water, and he gave them water out of a rock in Exodus chapter 17. And finally, you think about the most important thing that God could have ever given the children of Israel. He gave them the law on how to have a covenant relationship with him in Exodus chapters 20 through 32. Of all of the things that you and I can think of that we need in life, God provided for the children of Israel. There was not one thing that they could have asked for that God did not find a way to provide for them, or after it had been provided to them, that they could have said, God, you haven't done a good enough job of taking care of us. We need more. And when I think about the children of Israel and what their response should have been, they should have, like James said, remembering the idea that every good and perfect gift is from above, that all that we have comes from God, and we need to be thankful 
The psalmist would write, this is the day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Notice he didn't say this is the good day versus the bad days that the Lord has made. He simply says this is the day. And no matter what the day looks like, no matter what has come my way, I will rejoice and be glad in it because God has given me another opportunity to live and to have a day to serve and live for him. But the Israelites didn't have that response. In fact, their attitude was one of fear and ingratitude. And I can illustrate that by just covering over Numbers chapter 13 with you because when we come upon the promised land and God sends out these spies to go and survey the land, what should have come back as the report is, now look, they, they, they look tough, but we can take them. They look like a big, bad army, but we've got God. What do we have to fear? We're not concerned. And in truth, the spies could have even said, we don't even need to see the land. Lord, we know that you'll give it to us. Let's go take it. But as they go and they survey this land and they come back, you and I remember what happened, right? Of all of the spies that had gone out, those 12, only two of them were saying, we can take the land all of the others were so fearful and afraid that they convinced the entire Israelite people to be afraid. And what was the result of that? You're going to lose the ability to go into the promised land. Have you ever been driving, especially if you're traveling a long journey and you miss your exit? Isn't that annoying? <laughs> now, if you're like I am and others that I know in my family, if you're talking to somebody and you miss several exits, and you drive several miles past the exit that you were supposed to go to, now you've added so much more time to your trip that it is even more annoying to have to deal with. When I was in Shirts, Texas just a couple of weeks ago, I don't drive in Shirts, Texas a lot, and their highways and the Texas roads, they're difficult to navigate if you don't know what you're doing. And I spent the first couple days that I was there trying to figure out where I was and adding minutes to my destination and my time of arrival. How much time had they added to going into the promised land by simply being afraid and ungrateful for all that God had done for them? If the Israelite people had understood gratitude and being grateful for all that God had done for them to this point, it wouldn't have mattered if all 12 spies came back and said, there's no way. The Israelite people should have responded and said, no, we can take the land. You're wrong. God has us. We are able to accomplish anything because God is on our side. We spend a lot of time talking about greatest world powers that have ever been seen. You know that Israel is the greatest world power that this world has ever known. And do you know why? had nothing to do with their prowess in war. We don't read in the history books that Israel was known for being a great warring nation. We don't read that Israel was known for their financial status and their ability to be smart economically. The reason that Israel is the greatest world power that the world will ever see and has ever seen is because every time they went to war with God on their side, they were unbeatable. That cannot be said of any other army. That cannot be said of any other country, of any other world power that we've seen. God on my side makes me unstoppable. That was true for them, and yet they've gone away from that. And in truth, so many other nations have done the same thing 
And the reason so many problems come about our country, our world, is because we neglect to realize who will sustain us and who will see us through. And we become fearful and ungrateful. And the whole time God has to be thinking, but I can sustain you. I can take care of you. Don't be afraid. Don't be ungrateful. Have you not seen all that I've done to this point? You don't think I can take you a little bit further? And you want to think about the Israelite people as that being the only time that they really let their fear and ingratitude get the best of them, but it'd be wrong. As you and I think about God giving them the land that they had been able to pursue and they had gone up to this point, right at the threshold, everything that they needed, but they're afraid of the people. For what? What was different between them and the Egyptians who had them? They were like giants in the land. I find it interesting that a man after God's own heart sometime later would look at an actual giant and say, I'm not scared of you. I'm not afraid of what you're saying. Because I come to you in the name of the Lord. I'm not afraid of anything that you're going to say or possibly do to me because you cannot beat me. Because God is on my side. And if the Israelite people had trusted in God, they would have taken the land then. But this is not the only time that we find these Israelites being ungrateful. We talk about their complaining constantly. And as I give you some examples today, they complained against Moses quite a lot. On one occasion, they told Moses to leave them alone. Now, I can't imagine a situation where I would look at someone who is in leadership over me and having the audacity to say, leave me alone. Get out of my face. I don't Just leave. And yet in Exodus chapter 14 and verse 9, it says the Egyptians pursued them, the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army. They overtook them camping by the sea. And in verse 10, as Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes and saw that the Egyptians are marching after them and they became afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And then they said to Moses, well, there were no graves in Egypt. Have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone? Moses, we told you to just leave us alone. We told you to leave us alone. We didn't want any part of this. And we are so right. We told you this would happen. You need to leave us alone. It's better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die. It's better for us to go back to the way things were than to have gotten to this point and be killed. Thanks a lot, Moses. We're going to die, and it's your fault. On another occasion, they complained about having bitter water. In Numbers, Exodus chapter 15, excuse me, verses 22 through 27, they complained because the water wasn't tasting to their liking. They didn't like how it tasted, and they complained against Moses. You've heard the phrase before, beggars can't be choosy. You know, if you really are that starved for water... You're not going to sit there and say, well, this doesn't taste like I'd like it to. If it's good for you, you don't care about the taste. If it's not going to harm you in drinking it, you don't stop and go, well, 
I've had water that tastes better than that. So I know I'm I know I'm really thirsty and I know I need to drink in order to be able to sustain my life, but I'll just wait for something better. That's what they said. They were angry at Moses. And not only about about water, but even about hunger. Look at Exodus chapter 16 verses 1 through 4. As they were journeying from Elam, all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. And it says in verse 2 that the whole congregation began to complain against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. This wasn't just one member of the congregation who's hard to please, going to Moses and saying, well, I thought you would have provided food by now. This was the entire congregation. You want to talk about a mob mentality? They're all going after Moses and Aaron and saying, we want to be fed. And they were so dramatic when they would complain because in verse 3 it says, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. We were much better fed when we were slaves. Really? Does God not see all? Does God not know all? If the Israelite people were truly in a better place, then God did something wrong by saying that they needed to be let go. God didn't know what he was talking about then. God didn't understand. He must have misseen something apparently. That's not what happened. But to them, because it's not going the way that they want it, it would have been better for us to be back in Egypt where we were full. We had everything that we needed. No, you didn't. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'll rain bread from heaven for you. I'm going to take care of you. The Lord could have said, You know what? Fine. Take them back to Egypt. Fine. Leave them. If they're so ungrateful, if they don't care about all that I've done, then I'll just wash my hands of them and be done with it. But instead, he provided for them. But they weren't done complaining because they complained about being thirsty in Exodus chapter 17. And the whole point of all of this is, when we look at something worth noting, every time when they complained, God still provided for them. Do you know how much love that has to take? Because I've got a four-year-old, I love him dearly, but he can nag you better than anybody. He got that from his mama, okay? Um, no, he probably got it from me. And I hear him all the time ask me questions over and over and over again. And I'm at a point sometimes where I say, son, just stop talking for a little while. Enough. That's it. Don't say another word. And then I read about God, where all of these people are complaining time after time, and God still provides. And to think of the love that that has to take, when you're being basically questioned as an unloving God, when your leader that you have set to lead these people out in Moses and Aaron are being tasked with not being good leaders because they took them out of a land where they were taken care of, and now they're in a place where they're perishing with hunger and thirst, and they don't have the water that they want. And for God to still say, I'll take care of you, that takes a lot of love. 
And as you and I think about making this apply for us today, I can tell you with certainty, I have been like the Israelites before. I have sometimes been so ungrateful for all that I have because I don't have that. And whatever that is, it gnaws at me sometimes. And I think that my life will be so much better if I could just get that. You know, I just recently packed up a lot of boxes and went through a lot of rooms in a house that we lived in and started to find stuff that I thought when we bought it we would use. And I was so convinced. Let me tell you of one of the weirdest purchases I found. We were going through our garage and I found a Spider-Man ice cube tray. Still in the little container that it came in. I don't even know where I got it. But I can tell you that the day I bought it, I had probably convinced both myself and my wife, oh, we'll use this. Yeah. We will have Spider-Man ice cubes, and it's going to be awesome. And then I'm looking at it, and I go, you know what? That's trash. And I threw away so many things that at the time that I bought them, I had convinced myself, life will be a little bit better now. I'll be more happy now. And then I never opened them. Never used them. And I finally started to grasp what Solomon really understood all these years ago. It's vanity. It's vain. Anything that God has provided for me that is a necessity is enough. Not that things are wrong. You can have stuff. There's nothing wrong with having stuff. But we get to a point where our stuff becomes our religion. With the Israelites, they had turned it into their heads that being slaves in Egypt was better because... At least they didn't have to deal with any suffering and struggle. But God was taking them to somewhere better. And you and I look at our own lives as we're sojourners on this earth. That this isn't all that we have. This is not where we want to stay. And we find ourselves doing the same thing as the Israelites. Sacrificing what is coming for what we can see in front of us. But God has done so much for us. You know, salvation alone is priceless when you think about it. No one can pay for it. There will never be a point where in my Christian life or anyone's Christian life that we can say, Lord, I've finally done enough. The debt has been repaid. Priceless. And we didn't deserve it. There was nothing that said God had to give it to us. And yet he did. And I have the audacity to be ungrateful. To be upset that life doesn't go exactly like I want it to go. When I have more than the average person has, if I just look at salvation, I have everything I could ever need. God alone has taken care of us, so can we not be thankful for what we've been given by Him? Because as James pointed out, every good and perfect gift does come from above. The cars that we drive, the houses and the places that we live, the food that we can eat, the clothes on our backs, we are blessed. Blessed by God to have everything at our fingertips and disposal that we need to have a life that is worth living. But we're not just asked to be thankful. We're commanded to do so. In fact, David sang praises about God's help in 2 Samuel 22, verses 48 through 51. 
where he's being delivered, and he sings a song of deliverance in this passage here. And he says in verse 48, It is God who avenges me and subdues the people under me. He delivers me from my enemies. You also lift me up above those who rise against me. You've delivered me from the violent man. And notice this, Because of all of this, therefore, I will give thanks unto the Lord among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. He is the tower of salvation to his king and shows mercy to his anointed. God, you took care of me when I was in my lowest part. You delivered me. I can sing your praises. But then in the New Testament, which is the law that we live under, it's God's will for us to give thanks. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, we're told of these little small statements that are so important for the Christian to have in the back of their mind at all times. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. When you're tempted, when you're struggling, give thanks. That's what James wrote to those 12 tribes which were scattered abroad. Give thanks when temptation comes upon you that it worketh patience within you that you can have the opportunity to overcome what has come your way. You can make it through. And because of all that God has done in redeeming us from sin, I can be thankful. How could I not? But finally this afternoon, the question shifts to are we grateful or are we like the Israelites? God's view for us is the idea that in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, we're told, Know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasures rather than God and rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away God's view of mankind as a whole is not a positive one because there are many people today on this earth that fit that description of being the exact opposite of what we are supposed to do and God says turn away from that don't be anywhere close to that. Don't fall into the trap that these people find themselves in. And the obvious question is, what's our legacy? I was so excited when I found out we were having a boy because that meant that my name will continue. And it's not an end-of-the-world thing, but that's a blessing to be able to know that the Clark name will continue on and now we have a baby girl coming on the way and I'm just as excited about that. But having a boy that will grow up and he'll come over and we'll watch the football games together and we'll wrestle around and we'll have fun, that's such a blessing. But the truth is both of my children are my legacy. And if they grow up and they're ungrateful... And they don't know that God has done all of the things that he's done for them. It can be because I haven't done my part in showing them. And it's not enough to just tell them that if everything they see from me and my wife is the exact opposite. 
And the same is true with the world. If the world looks at us and they see people that want nothing to do with salvation, because we're not grateful that we've got it, we're complaining about it all the time, which means we don't really appreciate the gift that we've been given. Then what they'll see of us is ungrateful people. And why would they want any of that? They can stay where they're at. They don't have to do anything. But if we can show them that gratitude in Christianity is not just on one Thursday of the year or one month of the year even. Gratitude is every day. I can be grateful no matter what. I can be grateful no matter what is told to me, no matter what happens in my life. If I get sick, I can still be grateful that the Lord has blessed me. And if I die today... I still have lived a life that is far better than anybody else that doesn't have salvation, that doesn't have what I've been blessed to receive because Jesus loved me enough to come and die for me. So everything else doesn't matter. And I need that reminder. I don't have to have everything when I've already been given everything that I need. Perhaps this afternoon you find yourself as an individual that is in truth ungrateful for what you've been given because you haven't known the gratitude and by living it in your life, haven't shown it to people. If you have not become a Christian, we can show you this afternoon just how grateful you can be by taking you and baptizing you for the remission of your sins, which will put you into the family of God, becoming a member of His body, receiving the greatest gift and blessing that you could ever receive. And we can accomplish that for you because of what Jesus has done. We can facilitate that. But perhaps you're living and you're wayward. You're not living a grateful life. It's time to come back. It's time to rededicate and show that you really do appreciate all that God has done for you. We'll pray with you and for you. Whatever need you have, won't you come as together we stand and sing.